Hello, and welcome to the Harvest Podcast, brought to you by The Field in Charlotte, North Carolina, where we put love into action. We hope that you are blessed by these previous sermons by our pastor, Reverend Dr. Peter M. Weary. Please be sure to subscribe and leave a comment on whichever podcast platform you use. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and YouTube at Mayfield Memorial Missionary Baptist Church, as well as Instagram at The Field CLT. Be blessed. I wish I had somebody who would rejoice that our God is the keeper of our souls. Sometimes you wonder how you're going to stand on the shifting sands of life. Here's the answer. This Jesus is the keeper of our souls. Hallelujah, somebody. Thank you. Thank you, thank you to this fantastic worship ministry for ushering us into this time of the Word. Would you come with me to the letter of Peter, the first letter of Peter? First Peter chapter 5, beginning with verse 8. I'm going to read down through verse 11. From the Good News Bible, hear these words. Be alert. Be on watch. Your enemy, the devil, roams around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Be firm in your faith and resist him because you know that other believers in all the world are going through the same kind of sufferings. But after you have suffered for a little while, the God of grace, of all grace, who calls you to share his eternal glory in union with Christ, will himself perfect you and give you firmness, strength, and a sure foundation. To him be the power forever. Amen. And from the book of Acts, chapter 12, beginning with verse 11, I want to read down through verse 20, also from the Good News Bible. God was performing unusual miracles through Paul. Even handkerchiefs and aprons he had used were taken to the sick and their diseases were driven away and the evil spirits would go out of them. Some Jews who traveled around and drove out evil spirits also tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus to do this. They said to the evil spirits, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. Seven brothers who were the sons of a Jewish high priest named Siva were doing this. But the evil spirit said to them, I know Jesus and I know about Paul. But you, who are you? The man who had the evil spirit in him attacked them with such violence that he overpowered them all. They ran away from his house, wounded and with their clothes torn off. All the Jews and Gentiles who lived in Ephesus heard about this. They were all filled with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was given greater honor. Many of the believers came publicly admitting and revealing what they had done. 
Many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in public. They added up the price of the books and the total came to 50,000 silver coins. In this powerful way, the word of the Lord kept spreading and growing stronger. And verse 15 offers us this. But the evil spirit said to them, I know Jesus and I know about Paul, but you, who are you? The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me for just a few moments this morning on the subject, who in hell are you? Who in hell are you? Let's pray. Consecrate me now to thy service, Lord, by the power of grace divine. Let my soul look up with a steadfast hope. Let my will be lost in thine. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This morning's text, drawn from Luke's chronicle of the movement of the young Christian enterprise from Jerusalem to Rome, called the Book of Acts, is one of the most interesting in all of Scripture. This text serves the purpose in its context of drawing a bright line between the stubborn unbelief of the temple establishment as well as the pagan sorcery of those who lived in Asia and the bona fide power and authority of Jesus. Through recounting these events in our text, Luke sets out to pronounce for the Jews once and for all the opportunity they have missed by rejecting the gospel and to outline in high relief the bankrupt ideology of pagan religion in comparison to the gospel. Luke in one story essentially demonstrates what could become the central struggle of Christian disciples for centuries to come. Our dilemma as believers is to live and operate as disciples of Jesus between stubborn unbelief and powerless superstition. This is the quintessential crossroads of the, the church and of every church. This one reality accounts for the thousands of years of persecution and struggle of the faithful throughout the long history of the church. This one situation between the poles of stubborn unbelief and powerless superstition is what occasioned the council at Jerusalem in Acts 15 and all of the subsequent councils of the church for the next 20 centuries trying to figure out 
how to be faithful in the midst of stubborn unbelief and ungodly superstition. Quiet as it's kept, this is our existential predicament, even in 2021, living between stubborn unbelief and godly superstition is our challenge as Christian leaders and all the followers in the midst of a pluralistic society and culture in which the Bible is no longer the standard of faith for a lot of people, nor of practice even for a lot of people within our own pews. You'd be surprised how many folk come to church every week and don't really believe the Bible. We as the church, we're challenged to be faithful in a culture in which people demand the right to be wrong. We live in a culture which misunderstands our message, so it rejects our claims and resists our witness. It even sometimes attacks our very right to exist on the terms we've known and believed. This culture reserves the right to interpret for us our theology and tests our tenets with civil law. The church is in crisis, family, because our culture and our churches have created and cultivated an ethos in which there is no objective biblical standard of conduct, and our behavior is oftentimes the product of situation ethics. We do what we want to do, and right depends on the situation. We as the body of Christ are too often confused about who we are. This is a crisis, I tell you. We, we've created an earthbound system which lifts anthropology above theology. That is, what we believe about people is now more important than what we've heard from God. The crisis is that our human systems have become preeminent and authoritative even when they're at odds with what we believe as revealed by the scriptures. And many times we are afraid, I've found, to confront the crisis. The church is in crisis because we've bought the bill of goods being sold by the culture that the problem is somehow our outdated doctrine. Too many churches have lost the leverage of love because so many have engaged in the politics of oppression. Thousands of churches drank the Kool-Aid and made themselves comfortable with anything a politician does to the poor, the vulnerable, the non-white, so long as that politician carries our water and services our societal sickness. We are in a crisis. Because on the one hand, when the times changed, we refused to change our business model, our methods, that is, taking care of ourselves. Yet, on the other hand, with every faint wind of opposition, we were too afraid to resist bastardizing our beliefs. Our crisis is exacerbated because we are affronted by the accusations of impotence, but we've been powerless against them. We've been under siege by the power of the pandemic. All we've been able to do is hang on by our fingernails until the storm passes by, only to learn that it wasn't the storm passing by, the parade has passed us by. 
We've been complicit in our own destruction because we too quickly let go of our birthright so we can gain the approval of people who seem to have power. Sometimes people in the called out community and sometimes people in the culture. This Zitzim Laban, this situation in life for the church between stubborn unbelief, that is the failure to have faith in that which is real, and ungodly superstition, that is the irrational belief in stuff that's false, is a hard, uncomfortable place to be between these two things. That intersection between failure to have faith in that which is real and the irrational belief in that which is false, that intersection is where churches feud and fuss. That intersection is where congregations split and die. That intersection is where people get distracted and start to focus as a priority on stuff that has no relevance in this life or the next. That intersection is where the organized evil that is alive and well in this world gets the best of us. Here then, Right here where we live and struggle between these two extremes, that is between stubborn unbelief and irrational belief in stuff that's false, that's where Luke inserts this story of the seven sons of Siva. Right in between the twin extremes of our crisis, the Word of God comes to reassure us that we have not been left without recourse when the crises of life come. I need you to know, Field family, I have not come to simply decry the crisis, but I have come to challenge the crisis. That's what the purpose of all this preaching today is, uh, to sharpen our tools, to fill up our epistemological quivers, the, the, to discipline disciples so, so we can be who we ought to be, even in hard times for the church. I have not come to abdicate power to any evil adversary. If anything, I have come so the church can take over. But I've come to remind all of us that we are responsible to assert power over the forces of evil. I don't know about you, but I am persuaded that God has invested too much in us. Jesus has given too much for us. The Holy Ghost has reposed too much in us for the church to be cowed by any crisis. Somebody say, I ain't scared. Yeah, yeah. Luke, Luke issues the challenge this morning that, that may be difficult for us to hear. He suggests that the crisis of the church may come from being, as the old folk used to say, so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. According to this passage, people get beat down at the intersection of stubborn unbelief and faith in the fallacious because they're too concerned about association with and notoriety in heaven. It's all right to proclaim I'm trying to make heaven my home. And I, I heard, but I heard Aunt Jane say, everybody talking about heaven ain't going. I mean, but the real question, I know we're concerned about heaven, uh, looking to heaven, living for heaven, living to live again in heaven. We're concerned about the end of the earthly history so we can, we can all participate and join in together in heaven. But, 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 but the real question, 
question for disciples this morning is, is your name known in hell? In other words, who in hell are you? I know you're supposed to go to heaven. I know you're trying to get there. But before you get there, you need to answer this question. Who in hell are you? The text reveals that God was performing what Luke describes as unusual miracles through Paul. As the narrative relates, aprons and handkerchiefs, y'all heard the story, that had been touched by Paul were being laid on the sick and, and people possessed of evil spirits and the demons would flee. Some Jews, Luke says, whom he later describes as the seven sons of a man named Siva, Luke calls him, had seen God working these miracles through Paul. So, so they tried to do it themselves, trying to associate with what they perceived to be heavenly or godly power. Verse 13b says, these sons of Siva said to the evil spirits, I command you in the name of Jesus, listen, whom Paul preaches. The demon's response to their attempt at exorcism is telling. The demon says, I know Jesus, verse 15, and I know about Paul, but who are you? You cannot meet the next crisis in the church or even in your own life until you answer that question that the demons are asking tonight. The demons are saying tonight, I see you trying to associate with Paul. I know Paul. I know about him. I see you wearing your cross earrings and your cross chains with the crosses on them and the cross tattoos and the cross nose jewelry. I see your fly little lapel pins with crosses on them and I see you going to Sunday school and Bible study and all that good stuff. I see you trying to associate yourself with heavenly purpose and a heavenly destination and all them heaven bound and heavenly folk may know you up there your name might even be written in Jesus the Lamb's book of life and I do know Jesus but before I beat you down up in here I heard them come in the sanctuary door and I heard them whispering at the back of the sanctuary before I beat you down up in here I'm gonna need you to answer one question who in hell are you? So my mission briefly here this morning is to hazard a couple of suggestions for answers to the very relevant question, who in hell are you? It's one thing to be known in heaven, but I suspect you ain't doing much unless the demons also know you in hell. What is the answer to the question, who in hell are you? Can I, can I hazard a guess? Uh, can I make a suggestion about what I'm going to answer and maybe what you ought to answer when the demons make this question known to you? First of all, verse 13 suggests you ought to answer the demon and say this, I am a dedicated disciple. Watch verse 13. Some Jews 
who traveled around and drove out evil spirits also tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus to do this. They said to the spirits, I command you in the name of Jesus, watch it, whom Paul preaches. Some of the greatest lessons in life, family, are through learning what not to do. This statement by the so-called sons of Siva in the B section of verse 13 is, is certainly one of those lessons in what not to do. On the surface, it seems like they did everything they were supposed to do. They, they confronted the demon and they invoked the name of Jesus. Seems like a no-brainer, right? But the problem is in the dependent clause following the comma there in verse 13b, whom Paul preaches. I, I command you in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. This one clause puts a finger on the problem of the average follower of Jesus. They're connected to his personality but not to his power. I wish I had some help in here. That's why the demon asked these guys, who are you? I don't know you. I've seen Paul. I know Jesus, but I don't know who you are. Knowing family in the ancient world carried a number of different dimensions. For example, I know Jill Biden. I know Michelle Obama. But not like I know Wanda Wary. For those of you who don't know me, that's my wife. There's a dimension of knowing in your family that, that's born out of a deep personal relationship with a person. And in the end, that's the only knowing that's going to make the difference when the crisis comes. Because of the cursory and distant way that I know Mrs. Biden, Dr. Jill Biden, I, I really can't depend on her when my back is against the wall. Very nice lady every time I've met her. But I can tell you that, that I really can't depend on her in the clutch. If I call her, she most likely wouldn't even return my call. It isn't that she doesn't like me. She's a wonderful person. It's just that she doesn't know me like that. Y'all still with me? Yeah, but, but I have a phone number in my cell that, that's for Wanda Wary, and, if, and I got that one on speed dial. Matter of fact, I don't even have to dial it. I just got to push something because when I call that number, I know help is on the way. Why? Because we have together some history. We, we have sat on the side of the road together in a broke down car watching vultures circling overhead. I, I know she'll come because we have traveled dangerous country roads together, going to scores of revivals in remote country churches, keeping each other awake. And when we were broke, eating goobers, peanut butter and jelly out of a jar with a loaf of white bread. We, she's coming when I punch the button because we've got, we've, we've stacked together and kept the death watch over loved ones and said farewell together over people who have loved us. If I punch the Wanda Wary button, I know she's coming. When, when you know somebody at that level, when you call them, you can depend on some action. When, but, but when you're just casual and cursory with somebody, you can't count on them. This text is a cautionary tale for people and churches in crisis. Just because you got a cross on your building and sing about Jesus on Sunday morning does not mean your church has the benefit 
benefit of the power of his name. Just because you say you know him, just because you call on him in a certain way does not mean that his power will attend to your beckoning. I, I'm here to tell you the demon beat down the sons of Siva because their cursory connection to the one called Jesus posed no threat to, the, to him. The demon knew he wasn't in any danger. That's why he said, wait a minute here, wait a minute here now. I, I, I know Jesus and, and, I, and I know about Paul, but, but you, who are you? The demon in hell said. The demon beat them down because, because they, they didn't have the connection they thought they had. That's, that's why the demon knew Paul. The demon knew Paul because Paul had lived a level of dedication to Jesus that, that summoned supernatural power every time Paul called his name. Did y'all catch it? That in the story, Paul didn't even have to touch folk. He just took some handkerchiefs. They took handkerchiefs that he had touched and laid them on sick folk and sick bodies got up off of sick beds because Paul did what he did in the name of Jesus. That's why the power of Jesus attended every time Paul called his name. That's why Paul's name rang familiar in hell because time after time when forces of darkness pressed in, Paul returned to the feet of Jesus and the wiles of the wicked were undone every time. Paul showed himself a dedicated disciple. From the time he was called on a road to Damascus, the Lord Jesus was with him. In Damascus, when the Jews tried to kill him, Jesus was with him. In Jerusalem, when Peter and the fellows were suspicious of him, the Lord raised up a friend named Barnabas to plead his case. Carrying offerings in the midst of persecution. That's Acts chapter 11. Heaven, traveling across dangerous seas, Jesus was with him in Acts 13 and, and later on in Acts in Antioch and Pisidia in Acts 13. He talked about and disputed sermons were interrupted by his enemies and Jesus was still with him in Acts 13. In Iconium, Jesus was with him. In Lystra, Jesus was with him. In Derby, Jesus was with him. When Friends left his side. Jesus was with him. When I get to your testimony, you just wave your hand. In prison, in Philippi, Jesus was with him and made the foundations of the jail shake. When he was among jealous folk in Thessalonica. Jesus was with him. He was with him in Athens when he was called ignorant and a show-off. Jesus was with him in Corinth when the Lord said to him, do not be afraid, but keep speaking and do not give up for I am with you. That's Acts 18. Oh, the demon remembered all of those butt kickings. I don't know about you, but I want my name to be, I want to be written in the Lamb book of life, but I want my name to be known in hell. I want the demon to understand that when he steps to me, he better come packing because I'm armed and dangerous with spiritual power. I want every demon to remember that you can't make me doubt him. I know too much about him. I, I want to learn everything I can know about him because when I do, I know stuff in the earth realm 
realm will change even before I get to heaven. If the demons know my name because of my association with Jesus, then I know justice will reign. Then I know right will win out. Then I know hungry folk will get fed. Then I know the oppressed will go free. Sin will be convicted. Sinners will be embraced. Broken folk will be mended. The lost will be found. The last will be first. There'll be order in the church. There'll be love among the people. There'll be power in the pulpit. There'll be integrity in the leaders. The sheep will have a shepherd. The shepherd will have support. The disciples will be determined and the demons will know our names. Oh, well, who in hell are you? I know who you want to be in heaven. I know you're in the Lamb's book of life. But do any demons know your name? Who in hell are you? Who in hell are you? I'm a dedicated disciple. That's what I'm going to answer. Not only that, but, but listen. I'm a right-handed revolutionary. Listen to the 14th verse. Seven brothers who were the sons of a Jewish high priest named Siva were doing this. That is, they were speaking to demons in the name of Jesus because he was the one Paul preached. In the final analysis, family, it, it, it's, if, if this narrative tells us nothing else, it lets us know that the God we serve cannot be manipulated. Uh, the great crises of every church and of every life come when folk become arrogant enough to think that they can manipulate God for their own purposes. Come here, my evangelical brothers and sisters. We've been, we've been studying and listening to preaching all of our lives to get workers ready in every church and in our church to do things God's way, your way, and for your own purposes, even for the right reasons. will ultimately lead to hard times because in this narrative Luke engages in what Taylor Marshall calls a little priesthood polemics. That is, he uses the story uh, to demonstrate the lack of power in the established structures of Jewish high priesthood and so to highlight the power of Jesus. How do we know this? We know this because there was no high priest in Jerusalem named Siva. Uh, this is Luke playing some word games. We know this because the name Siva is the Hellenized or the Greek form of the name Saeva, which means left-handed. To be left-handed in the ancient world implies being untrustworthy, being sinister, being perverse, being ominous, being low down, being unreliable. The point is, these people, these guys were trying to cast out demons their own way, without a connection to Jesus. Uh, without a connection to Jesus, family in particular, the name of Jesus, the demon has got no reason to recognize who they are. Can I talk to some disciples who, who, have, who have sat at his feet but never really made a connection with him? That, that's why he asked them, who in hell are you? The demon already knew what it sometimes takes believers a lifetime to figure out. The demons already knew you can't manipulate God. The demons already knew you either right-handed, the biblical symbol for power or you're left-handed. The biblical symbol for being weak and ominous and untrustworthy and scheming and conniving. 
So who in hell are you? I dare you to confess that I'm a right-handed revolutionary. I, I'm a disciple who dares to be known in hell, known by my relationship to Jesus and known by my discipleship and known by the evidences of his power when I go back running to his feet. That is, I have sat there at his feet and become a learner of a master's teaching, made a personal connection with him. I've learned his ways. I know what he likes and what he don't like. I've determined that even if he slay me, still I'm going to serve him. I'm, I'm determined that by his power, I'll go back to my field of labor. I'll go back to my house. I'll go back to my job. I'll bring honor to the name of Jesus because I can tell everybody every time I call on him, he shows up some kind of way. The text says that after the so-called sons of Siva tried to cast out the demon without the connection to the person and power of Jesus' name, the demon yoked them up and beat them like they stole something and then stripped off their clothes just to humiliate them. And when the folks saw this, the name of Jesus, the text said, gained even greater power. They, they found out that in the name of Jesus, there is power. That's, that's what makes a right-handed revolutionary, not from an incarnation, an incantation pronounced like some spell or a witch over the subject of some spell. But, but when you connect yourself with the name of Jesus, he gives you the authority over your enemy. I'm ready for some disciples to quit slinking around and quit bending over and quit bowing and scraping and quit being obsequious and servile to demonic pressure from outside of yourself. I, I want you to remember that when you connect yourself, when you align yourself with his ways, he will make the enemy leave you alone. When you sit at his feet and learn his mind, he will fight your battles because God has given him a name that's above every name. The Bible says that at the name of Jesus, demons in hell tremble. They'll look around and say, I know Paul, I know Jesus. Oh, but I recognize you now. You are that one who in the midnight hour when I came to your bedside and tried to keep you awake at night, you laid down, put your hands under your head, and you began to cry out, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down, even in green pastures. Yeah, I know who you are. You are a right-handed revolutionary. I heard Paul say in his letter to the Colossians, Jesus is the first fruits of them that slept. He's the first fruits, not because he's the first one to rise from death. Yeah, he got Lazarus up from the grave before he went to his own grave. But here is the difference. 
why I don't connect myself with Brother Lazarus because after Lazarus got up later on he had to die again yeah but I heard yes I heard that on one Friday evening they killed him matter of fact he said in between the lines come here John what did you hear the Lord say he said I heard Jesus say nobody takes my life but I lay it down here's the rub y'all here's the shout y'all and I've got the power yeah to pick it back up again that's why he's the first fruits of them that slept Jesus is the first one to lay down and then by his power God got him up with all power in his hands yeah that's why he is the visible likeness of the invisible God somebody say yes he is my pathway up to glory when I lose my direction when I feel down and out when I get discouraged when I get depressed I call on the name that mighty name I call on the name of Jesus at that name every knee must bow every tongue must confess he is Lord yes he's Lord over my struggles he's Lord over my enemies he's Lord over fatigue he'll remind me when I get tired they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength they shall mount up with wings just like an eagle they shall walk and not faint is there anybody here who loves my Jesus yes yes anybody here ever called him and he came to your rescue say yes say yes somebody say yes A right-handed revolutionary I know things can change because with Jesus nothing remains just the same yeah oh yeah oh yeah Oh, oh yeah. yeah, I tell you, he gives me power. Power to overcome the enemy. Power to scare the demons to death. Pun intended.
power that when they see me, they'll know my name. Half of what's wrong with the church these days is that it's too full of folk who the only one that knows you is Jesus. Disciples moving in and out of churches. No power. No connection to command troops to get out of your way. No power to speak those things that are not as though they were and they materialize. No power to bind the hand of the enemy, to rebuke the devourer. Can I ask you a question? Who in hell are you? I know you're going to heaven anyhow, but who in hell are you? If you're ready to answer the question, disciples of Jesus, if you're ready to make a new commitment to answering these questions, this question with these answers, I am a determined, dedicated disciple. If you're willing to answer the demon, back up, check yourself before you wreck yourself. I am a right-handed revolutionary. And you ought to come on and rejoice with me that the Lord knows your name. And so do the demons. If the demons don't know your name, you've probably accomplished nothing for the kingdom. I want to invite you on. Let's, let's go, let's go, let's go. Let's engage some demons in this culture, in this society. No mealy mouth, fearful disciples need apply. How much courage do you have? More importantly, how much faith? Courage is acting even though you are afraid. Faith is acting without fear based on a deep knowledge that Jesus has the outcome. Ah, that's what the demons fear. Because when you operate your life like that, a demon knows you're liable to step out on faith anytime and materialize some things that will change the lives of people. Demons know that when you have that kind of faith, you are a right-handed revolutionary full of power because of your attachment to the name of Jesus. Demons know you're not going to stand by and let just anything happen in the earth realm, but you're going to stand up and be counted. You're going to love somebody that the culture says reject. You're going to help somebody that the enemy has set up for destruction. Come on, come on. 
you know who in hell you are? Good. If you don't know, why don't you come on and pray with me? I'm going to recite some words from Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Paul writes, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Come on and pray with me. If you need Jesus in your life, if you need a church family to study and grow and worship and work, serve God and humanity, serve notice on some demons, why don't you pray this prayer after me? Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of the wrongs I've done. My sin. I need you as my Savior. I am powerless to save myself. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. It's done. Just put the hashtag at the bottom of your screen and feel me CLT. I want to be a part of your church. Whatever you say, just come. Give your life in some way to Jesus. You don't have to be here in Charlotte. You can join the, the family of faith like some have in Monrovia, Liberia, like some have in Lusaka, Zambia, like some have in Rio de Janeiro, like some who we have in Seoul, South Korea. You can be a part of the family. Just come on and know there's power. 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 In the name of Jesus. Don't you want it? There is power in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Is here. There is power. I wish I had a witness. There is power in the name of Jesus. Matchless name, mighty name. On, let's leave this place knowing there is power in the name of Jesus. When you speak the name, 
some of who he is, some of his essence, enters the space where you are. So be careful with his name this week as you go on about your way. Don't just handle it carelessly, but you call on that name like you would dial 911 or like you would call on your brother. You call him and watch your life never be the same. Come on, let's leave this place in the power of the name of Jesus. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever, that all of God's people say, Amen. Amen. Let's prepare ourselves for the Lord's Supper. Thank you so much for listening to the Harvest Podcast. We pray that the message has uplifted, encouraged, and challenged you as you continue your walk with God. If you're looking for a church home, the great news is the field is not confined by the four walls of the church, for we all know that the people are the church. If you wish to become a partner in ministry, but more importantly, a member of God's family, simply reach out to us on Facebook, at Mayfield Memorial Missionary Baptist Church or on Instagram at The Field CLT. Thank you once again and be blessed.